Welcome to the Friday Men's Breakfast Podcast, brought to you by the Chapel Podcast Network. In the 11th week of our study on the life of the Apostle Paul, we will see the important role that God's Word played in Paul's missionary work in the ancient cities of Thessalonica and Berea. So open your Bibles to the beginning of Acts chapter 17 and join us as we continue to become imitators of Paul as he imitated Jesus Christ. As we look here to what we are hoping to accomplish today, as we are going to be looking at our study on the life of the Apostle Paul, we are in the 11th installment of this study. I am so grateful when we have a series that we can work through together. And so 11 installments is is exciting. And we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through 15, as Paul, Silas, and Timothy are in the cities of ancient Thessalonica and ancient Berea. And that again is in Acts chapter 17. So go ahead and open your Bible or fire up your app and turn there. And uh, I was grateful for uh, Max's teaching last week as he took us through a really riveting account of life change in uh, Paul and Silas's ministry in Philippi as the Philippian jailer's life was transformed. And Max asked us a lot of great questions and got us to think about how God's mission that he called Paul to be engaged in and us to be engaged in here in the 21st century really should reorient our thinking about our circumstances and what we deserve. And and so I was very grateful for Max's teaching last week. It challenged me. And this week we turn to Acts chapter 17. Now, we're going to cover some neat, for me, neat context uh, as we look at chapter 17. And so if, if you know anything about me, uh, I always enjoy a good map. And guys, I, th- I think this one today is, this is going to take the standard a whole level up because I ended up digging back into some old resources. And it, if, if you were with us, and if you weren't with us, what we covered in the spring of 2019 were the books of First and Second Thessalonians, which will be part of what we look at here in Acts chapter 17. And so I had created a resource that I thought was pretty helpful. And what I'll do is I'll I'll show you this map, but I want you to observe the animation because what we're going to see is something that took place, an action that took place in history. Let's remember that when we read the, the pages of this book, this is a book that is rooted in history. It's not myth. It's not legend. It is true and it is real. And we are going to see something that happened around AD 49 as these men courageously moved across this territory called Macedonia which is in present-day Greece, and they took this new, life-changing, and we'll see disruptive message of the gospel of Jesus Christ to people who had never heard it before. And so these these traveling missionaries went along a way, a Roman road known as the, the Via Ignatia, or the Ignatian Way, and they moved across Macedonia. They're going to move from Philippi ultimately about 90 miles to the west and southwest to Thessalonica, and then another 45 miles to Berea. And so I want you to observe, if this works out, we'll see. There's some animation that shows the Ignatian way and the way that these guys traveled when they took the gospel to this region of the world. So, all right. Whoa, yeah. Wow. Do, you, do we need to see that again? Probably not. Um, but here is, here is the Ignatian Way. And then here is Thessalonica and Berea. And just for a little close-up, 
Watch the, uh, watch the dotted line here. Ready? One, two, three. Whoa. Okay, so there you have it. So uh, just some interesting, at least it's interesting to me. If it's not interesting to you, I'm sorry, but you have no choice but to listen. But here we have some context for this area and what's going on. This is right off of the Aegean Sea, and we'll look at Thessalonica first. Uh, it was, it's tucked up in this, um, in this gulf right here known as the Thermal Gulf. It was originally a town named Thermae. And it was renamed Thessalonica by the king of Macedonia, whose name was Cassander. And he named it after his wife. And his wife's name was Thessaloniki, which means, if you see Niki, it's Nike, which is, if you know the swoosh, that's the Greek word for victory. And so it refers to a victory over the Thessalonians. This was a victory, a military victory. And so he named this city in honor of his wife in victory over another group of people. So it's Thessalonica. Um, and here is just a, a Cassander himself. This was the king. And this is, again, content I was excited to share about back uh, now almost two years ago as we studied First and Second Thessalonians. But um, uh, what we find is it was a very wealthy city moving into the Byzantine Empire well after Paul and Silas and Timothy were there. And then it eventually became part of the country of Greece in 1912. And I, I only mention it because even today, it is actually the second largest city in the country of Greece. It has about a million people. Back in the time when Paul was there, it probably had about 200,000 people. So it was a, a large city. We again see Paul strategically taking the gospel to these places um, that would be places of influence where the gospel could spread. Uh, there was a fire that destroyed it in 1917, and they had to rebuild it. Um, but it is today home. It is one of the cultural capitals of Greece. Athens is obviously the capital of Greece, but it is one of the cultural capitals and uh, home to, um, to uh, the, uh, institutions of higher learning, I should say. So uh, it is commonly known today as the city of Salonika. So it's, they took away the Thess, and it's just Salonika. And so uh, we can see from even when it, where it is today that the city is influential, and it was influential back then. And Paul and Silas and Timothy uh, came to this city. Now, what's interesting, as we'll see, what happens is uh, there was a lot of disruption, and uh, yet there was fruit that was born from this. We'll see how the gospel transformed hearts, transformed minds, transformed lives. In fact, there's a list, if you even look at the Bible, you see several individuals who came from Thessalonica who eventually joined Paul in his missionary excursions in some way, shape, or form, and he even names them. A few of them are Aristarchus in Acts 20. Aristarchus gets mentioned a few times in the New Testament. We have a man named Secundus in Acts 20, another man named Demas in Colossians 4. Uh, by the way, if you have family that are expecting a child this year, those could be some baby names to consider. Aristarchus Secundus, especially if it's a second child, Demas maybe. Uh, Thessalonica was a free city, which means that it uh, did not need a Roman garrison within its walls, um, but it was an influential city. About 200,000 people, again, uh, a place that Paul, Silas, and Timothy felt led to as they were fulfilling the call that God gave in Acts 16 to carry the gospel to the region of Macedonia, that Macedonian call that Dale shared with us a few weeks ago. So that's Thessalonica. Uh, now we get to Berea. There it is, right in the middle. Um, 
So Berea, about 45 miles west of Thessalonica, we don't know as much about this community, this ancient community, as we do about Thessalonica, but uh, it is nevertheless very important, as we'll see when we get into our chapter. Uh, it was uh, very old, founded about the 5th century B.C. Uh, it is the modern city of Verea in Greece today. Uh, it was very important during the reign of Alexander the Great. Who's heard of Alexander the Great? Yes, you know, my kids are studying history. They, almost everybody knows the name Alexander the Great. In fact, back in the ancient days, they had some games, kind of like the Olympics, that were named in his honor. Um, and then uh, later, after uh, about 300 years later, after Paul was there, the Roman emperor Diocletian decided that it would be one of the capitals of Macedonia in his Roman empire. So uh, not an unimportant city, even though we don't know as much about it, but a city that Paul and Silas and Timothy were, uh, were led to share the gospel in. Um, there's another individual who came from, from Berea named Sopater, and he, uh, he became a companion of Paul in his missionary journeys as well. So we see that uh, not only did Paul establish, uh, and God used Paul to establish, as, as Wes would say, on these church planting journeys, these, these communities of faith, but uh, real discipleship was happening as followers of Christ were joining Paul and his companions to continue to do ministry along with him. Um, and it just if you go to Berea today, maybe it's on your list to do in 2021, I don't know, but there is an altar, of a three-part altar to St. Paul. And what you find as you go is that over here is a mosaic of his Macedonian call, and over here is a mosaic of him teaching the Bereans the scriptures. And we'll find out why that is significant. Um, I find it funny. They have different reactions. You can't completely see it here. This guy has his, his hands over his mouth. I can't tell. Is he amazed or is he laughing and making jokes about Paul? I don't know. Uh, I'm thinking, given the context of what we'll read, that he is amazed and saying, can you believe this? Or is this really true? So that is just our overview. Uh, real places and real history at a real time. Let's remember, that is where the scriptures are rooted. So as we look at uh, Thessalonica first, um, I'll just read and make some comments about the text. And I want us to see that there is a, a common theme that connects these two locations that will draw towards the end of our time with some application for us today. Uh, and that common theme has to do with this book. So, as we look at Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through 9, we'll be looking at the action in the city of Thessalonica. Uh, now, when they, and, that, and this is interesting, uh, Luke here records that Paul, Silas, and Timothy are taking part in this missionary endeavor. Luke apparently has uh, stayed in Philippi because they've just come from Philippi and have, um, have left. So Luke is not with them now. That's why he's writing in the, the third person plural. And they had passed through Amphipola, and Amphipolis, it's about 33 miles from Philippi, and Apollina, Apollinia, that's about another 27 miles away. And they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And has been pointed out already, if 10 Jewish men lived in a community a synagogue could be established. And that could be one of the reasons why Paul and his companions went to these cities because they assumed and knew that there would be at least 10 men in the synagogue there. And this was their, their missionary modus operandi, right? They would go to the synagogues and then take the message to the streets. Uh, 
So they start in the synagogue with the Jews. And Paul went in, and as was his custom, on uh, three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. So we know for at least three weeks, the Sabbath in Jewish times, that the Sabbath still is for Jews, is Saturday. And so these were three successive Saturdays. We pick up clues from the rest of the New Testament that it wasn't just a three-week period that Paul and his companions were there. They were probably there for longer, but we, re- we receive the information about this three-week segment here. Um, they were reasoning with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. Now this, guys, would have been uh, significantly jarring for these Jews to hear. We are fairly familiar with the message of Jesus Christ, with the message of the gospel, because we we have this Christian tradition in which we sit. These Jews, to hear this for the first time, first of all, that the, the Christ, the Messiah, had come, would have rocked their world. Secondly, to say that the Messiah, reaching back into the Old Testament Scriptures, that the Messiah had to die and then rise from the dead would have blown their minds, and it would have made them so irate Because they would have said, that is not our Messiah. Our Messiah is a mighty king. He can't be defeated. He will bring victory to his people. And of course, Jesus did that in ways that they never would have expected. It was victory over the grave. It was victory uh, for eternal life for those who follow him and believe in him. But this message of the Messiah suffering and dying would have completely shaken them. And that's why Paul sought to do what he could by taking the Old Testament scriptures and connecting the dots to show how it pointed to Jesus Christ. We continue on as Paul continues to proclaim this, Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. Now, the results of this, uh, and I'm imagining as he talked with these these Thessalonians, I'm imagining that he fielded a lot of questions. Uh, well, Paul, you say this in Isaiah 53, that this suffering servant is the Christ. Tell me more. Uh, Paul, you say that in Psalm 22, not that they didn't have chapter numbers, by the way, back then. I'm just trying to, to hypothetically imagine. But in this Psalm where it says, it talks about, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You're saying that those words were, were uttered by this Jesus on the cross. I don't know exactly what kind of questions they asked, but they interacted over the scriptures. And Paul pointed them to Jesus Christ and the salvation that he offers. And the results of the fruit fruit were following in verse 4. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great number of the devout Greeks. Those were Gentiles who believed in the God of the Jews, but had not taken the final step of getting circumcised as an expression of that. And not a few of the leading women. So we find that Paul and Silas and Timothy are successful at women's ministry, apparently, and starting that up because a number of the leading and influential women in the community believed in Jesus. But, verse 5 says, the Jews were jealous. And taking some wicked men of the rabble, I I highlighted that uh, phrase in my Bible, um, some of the wicked men of the rabble. In the King James... uh, Uh, translates this, 
certain lewd fellows of the baser sort. I just think that's rich language. I mean, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't that be great? Uh, to, hey, mom, I was called a certain lewd fellow of the baser sort today. That, that is not what you want on your, on your resume. Um, but what the Jews did is they, they essentially hired out the mob. And this was common in the ancient world. Pay money, incite some people to really stir up some, some violence and some disruption. And these certain lewd men of the baser sort, also known as some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, they set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason. Now, poor Jason. Uh, Jason, this guy, his Greek name, Jason, from the Hebrew name, Joshua. This poor guy is, is, is a new believer in Jesus and generously says, you can meet at my house for church because I am so excited about this life-transforming message and I want people to know I will gladly open up my home to meet one of, these, one of these great house churches in the New Testament. And the poor guy, they go to his house and they're seeking to bring Paul and Silas out to the crowd. And verse 8 reads, And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities. And this is what they were shouting. These men who have turned the whole world upside down have come here also. The word world there is literally empire. They had heard this news about this life-changing, disrupting message of Jesus Christ. And I mean, what, a, what an interesting way to refer, ironically, it was intended to be an insult. It was intended to say, these men have caused so much trouble. And they say, they've turned the world upside down and they've come here also. Ironically, what was intended to be an insult was one of the greatest compliments that they could have made to these people gathering of Paul and Silas and Timothy and their leadership and their bringing of the gospel. Because if I believe we are really doing what God has called us to do in serving and living for Jesus Christ on mission, then we will see the world turned upside down. Amen? That is the transforming disruptive power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so they continue with this, this shouting and this yelling. And they say, and, uh, and they continue in verse 7, And Jason has received them, and they were all acting against the decrees of Caesar. And this is why. Because what they were saying is that there is another king, Jesus. Because in the ancient Roman world, there was only one king in the eyes of the Roman Empire and the Roman government. It was Caesar. And Caesar was to be worshipped as God. And here these men come saying, He is not the true God. There is a true King of kings and Lord of lords, and His name is Jesus Christ. Another King, the true King. And I say amen to that. So we have these very um, uh, disruptive, this disruptive scene as the gospel is brought and lives are being changed Culture is being upended, turned upside down by the gospel because there is another king. His name is Jesus. He is the Christ. What happens as the action settles down is the people in the city, verse 8 says, uh, the city authorities were disturbed. That word disturbed um, uh, can, can refer to a, just a, a shaking of a disturbance when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. So this is the classic um, pay off the politicians move. 
what happened is there's some bail money that was paid. Essentially, maybe Jason had it because maybe he was wealthy because he hosted the church in his home. I don't know. But somehow money was paid to the local authorities. And the promise was made. We, we know this from ancient practice that as long as there's no more disruption, Jason, you can have some of this money back. But if there is, you're not getting it back and we'll take further steps. So feeling as if they had accomplished what they were called to accomplish. We, follow, we find that Paul, Silas, and Timothy see fit uh, to move on. But just thinking about this, as we uh, will come back to this a little bit later, Paul reasoned from the Scriptures that this Jesus, whom I'm proclaiming to you, is the Christ. Now, I imagine, guys, moving on from Philip, uh, Thessalonica, I should say, was very difficult for Paul. Because if we read his letters to first and second, uh, in First and Second Thessalonians, we find that these people were very special to him. I remember two years ago when we were studying First and Second Thessalonians, just studying through that and teaching through that as a, as a team, how, how often Paul expressed his affection for this church, his concern for this church, wondering how they were doing spiritually. Were they able to withstand some of the persecution that they were experiencing in their community because they wanted to stay faithful to Jesus? They were his pride and his joy and his crown, he writes. So moving on from Thessalonica was very difficult for Paul, but yet he saw God guiding him to the next phase of his journey uh, to the city of Berea which we will cover now in verses 10 through 15. Again, moving about 45 miles southwest across Macedonia, we come to this city named Berea. We read in verse 10, The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the, surprise, surprise, the Jewish synagogue. Again, that, that operation of taking the gospel to the synagogue and then moving to the streets. Verse 11. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. And I, I don't think that Luke in writing this is intending to be uh, snarky or insensitive or particularly insulting to the Jews in Thessalonica. Um, he's just talking about the receptivity that these Jews had that the majority of the Thessalonican Jews did not. Uh, more noble uh, can be translated, more open-minded, uh, more willing to learn. And because of that, we read that they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily, each and every day, to see if these things were so. The word examined here uh, is almost like uh, a witness in, in, legal, in the legal practice of the day, a witness who is being cross-examined by a judge in a court of law. It's almost like doing a forensic investigation of something that's been presented to you. So these Bereans heard the word, Probably the same or very similar message that Paul had preached in Thessalonica and Philippi and all of his missionary journeys. And he probably presented the Old Testament scriptures in a similar fashion. 
And they took heart to that and they looked deeper into what he was saying and they asked themselves and they asked of the the Old Testament scriptures, is this really so? What this man is saying to me and to us. They analyzed, they scrutinized, they studied the gospel truth that Paul and his companions were sharing with them and they compared it with the Old Testament teachings. And even better than that, they did so on a daily basis. Each and every day they did this. We find as we continue in verse 12, many of them therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing. Again, this this women's ministry movement through Macedonia was fascinating to me. Um, But obviously these leading women also uh, responded to the gospel as well as men. And then verse 13, but... (laughs) Familiar friends here. But when the Jews from Thessalonica heard that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Uh, That word for stirring up is the same word in verse 8 for disturbing. And they stirred up the crowds. This was their move. This This was their only method. They probably were shelling out some more money, saying to people, let's let's get these guys out of here. And they stirred up the crowds again. As a result, and I I don't know how they heard. This is 45 miles away, and they obviously didn't have mobile phones back then to text, hey, did you hear Paul, Silas, Timothy, they're in Berea, send. I I don't know. Maybe word just traveled. And eventually, after a while, they took their, their time to come back, and they came to Berea. They stirred up the crowd. Again, this disruptive message of the gospel, changing lives, changing the culture, And as we all know, change can be hard. And as a result of this this disturbance, once again, verse 14, then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. They were obviously very concerned for Paul's safety, thinking about how many times God had supernaturally and sovereignly guided and protected Paul in his journeys. My guess, I don't know for sure, But my guess is Paul was probably trying to dig his heels in each and every time people said, no, Paul, uh, get in the basket down the wall. No, Paul, get out of here, out of Thessalonica, on to Berea. No, Paul, out of Berea, on to Athens, which is where he'll go next. Uh, I'm sure Paul didn't want to leave. But yet they were looking out for his welfare, and they moved him on, and that moved the gospel on to new parts of the world. And so verse 15, uh, those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens. And after receiving a a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. So the plan was for Silas and Timothy to join Paul in Athens at a later time. So uh, this concludes the Macedonian call and fulfillment of that call that Paul was given back in Acts chapter 16. So as we think about these two cities, these two encounters with the gospel, remember I said there's a common theme that connects both of them. What what can we learn and how can we apply these two stories to the one common theme? Here's what I propose. I propose that God's word was foundational to Paul's missionary journeys for Jesus. The Word of God was foundational and essential and an indispensable tool in God's kingdom work in the ancient world. I really believe 
that it is still an indispensable tool in God's kingdom work in the modern world in which we live. And that's because I believe that God's word is also foundational to our discipleship journeys with Jesus. And the more that I um, grow in my faith and the more that I appreciate and understand the significance, the uniqueness, and the power of this written word that we have called the Bible, I'm amazed and challenged to be engaged with it even more. When I first came to faith in Christ, it was because I was invited to attend a Bible study through Young Life Ministry in my hometown back in 1991. I had a Bible. I'd been raised in the church. And when I started going to this Bible study with people, I saw people engaging with this book in ways that I hadn't recognized before. Maybe I had seen it, but just hadn't recognized it. And I began to have a love for this written word, which led to a love for the living word, Jesus Christ, in my life. And my life was changed. And that's why I remain convinced that uh, if you're not reading, you're not growing because of the life-transforming power that is found through the Spirit-inspired words of this book. Now, we don't worship this book. We worship the author of this book, who through the transforming power of His Holy Spirit, who authored, co-authored this book, wants to bring about good work in our lives and allow us to point others to Jesus Christ. We find it as we look at the, the story of the Thessalonians that the Scriptures point to Jesus at every single corner. You notice that Paul reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead. I think about how, in their fullest understanding, every passage of the Bible ultimately points to Jesus Christ because He is the fulfiller of the law. He is the Word of God Himself. Even Jesus' own words in Luke chapter 24 confirm this. We find that Jesus, talking to His disciples after His resurrection, shares these words. And Luke, the author of Acts, also records these words in his own gospel. In Luke chapter 24, verses 44 through 47. Then he, that is Jesus, said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, major areas of the Old Testament right there, the law, the prophets, and the Psalms, must be fulfilled. And then he uh, opened their minds to understand the Scriptures and said to them, this might sound familiar to you. Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And here we see that same proclamation. It was necessary that the Christ must suffer and be raised. That is the gospel message. That same gospel message started in Jerusalem and has moved out to the nations. Here, Paul is proclaiming it in the city of Thessalonica, as well as... Berea. Uh, there's a phrase that I've heard. It sounds kind of trite, but I think if you read into it, it's, uh, it is true. That the New Testament is in the Old concealed, and the Old Testament is in the New revealed. As we look back into the Old Testament, we see that the New Testament is, is concealed. It is, uh, it is there. When we get to the New Testament, the fullness of the Old Testament becomes revealed. And we see the full display of God's redemptive work and His Word. 
proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. So because of the importance of this, and looking then at the example of the Bereans, I have questions for us to think about and for me to think about. The question is, am I receiving the word eagerly? Are you receiving the word eagerly? It's one thing to sit and listen and, and say, oh yeah, that sounds good, and I agree with that, and I, that, that's in line with the way that I want to live my life. And, but, uh, but are there parts of the word that are maybe a little dusty in your spiritual life and mine? Parts that I'm not as eager to receive. Maybe parts that I'm a little convicted by that I tend to push off a little bit because it's too difficult to be challenged as the Holy Spirit works in my life. You know, are we eagerly receiving not just the parts of the Word that we like, but the parts of the Word that challenge us and shape us to be people of God, to carry out His work? Am I receiving the Word eagerly? And secondly, am I examining the Word daily? Are we in this book each and every day? I'm so grateful that we gather on a Friday. I feel like this is such a fulfilling time for me uh, as I sit and I listen to my colleagues. I certainly gain a lot from teaching, but I love listening and learning from uh, my fellow teachers. And I'm grateful that you all are here, grateful that folks are joining us online. Um, but this needs to be one of our practices each and every day, not coming together necessarily in a gathering like this, but being in the Word each day, examining it daily. Because I'm convinced if you're not reading, you're not growing. A professor, a former professor of mine named Tom Constable writes this, The Jews in Berea did not react out of jealousy, but listened carefully to what Paul preached and compared it to what the teachings, uh, the teachings of their Hebrew scriptures. Their example of daily Bible study has inspired Christians ever since to do the same. Anyone who listens to new religious truth would do well to compare it with Scripture as these Jews did. And guys, I will say that that is so important because the stakes are very high. And if you listen and keep your ear open long enough across the landscape of what's being taught here in not just our country and our culture, around the world, you will hear some really initially intriguing things that people are saying. And you have to ask yourself, is what they are saying consistent with what this book proclaims to be true? I thought uh, late last night, I, I thought of these uh, words uh, from 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, and was reminded of just how uh, true these words are today. As Paul is exhorting Timothy, again, this young companion who was joining him in Thessalonica and Berea, as he says, um, and he writes to him, Verse 3, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. Another way to translate it, that is healthy teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Guys, I can tell you that those words were true in the ancient world and they are true today. Uh, my daughter kind of has her finger on the pulse of some of this stuff and says, Dad, I'm, I'm hearing people say this and I know it's wrong. And Can you believe someone's saying this about the Bible? And what that, it's, it's, we always have to test what's being spoken against the true word of God. As a 
Because it, it's easy to do and the stakes are high. A, another former professor once said that you can make any passage of Scripture grow four legs and walk in any direction if you try hard enough. If it suits your opinion, if it suits your lifestyle, if it suits your desires, if it suits your needs. And we have to be careful, guys, that we aren't letting that happen in our own life as well. That's why we have to receive the whole word eagerly and examine the entire word daily. We must be like the Thessalonians and show how the Scriptures point to Christ. We must be like the Bereans and examine the Scriptures to discern what others are saying about Jesus Christ. And we have to do that by being in this book each and every day. And when we do, as we're reminded that God's Word was foundational to Paul's missionary journeys for Jesus, and God's Word is foundational to our discipleship journeys with Jesus. When we allow the Word to transform us, to, uh, to transform us through the renewing of our mind, through the power of the Holy Spirit, then we are able to do what we hope to do, which is to be imitators of Paul as he is of Christ, and then to say with full genuine, a genuine heart, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain, recognizing that Paul modeled life surrendered to Jesus Christ for us to follow. Amen? As you uh, get some time, I just encourage you to think about these questions in your group. Uh, are you receiving the word eagerly? All of it. Uh, not just the parts that are easy to read, but are you being challenged through the word, the entire counsel of God? Secondly, are you examining the word daily? What does that look like in your life? What, what would you like for that to look like in your life? As you discuss in your groups, maybe that is something you can share. Well, I, this is how I've embraced this practice to make it more consistent. And you can learn from one another. Final reminder is that next week we will not meet. Uh, we will have Good Friday. Um, but we will be back the week after that as we continue learning from Paul's life and missionary journeys in the city of Athens. A very exciting, riveting account in a, um, another uh, city center of great influence in the world at the time. So um, that is what I have for you this morning. I will pray, and then you will be um, able to just meet in your groups as long as you would like. And um, I'm thankful for the Word of God. Amen? Amen. Right, let's pray. Father, you have given us such a gift. I, I know many years ago I was talking to a friend and he just observed that even going back into the time of your people, the Israelites in the Old Testament, um, you did not have to give this great gift of your scriptures to your people. You could have communicated in some other ways and that would have been okay, but to have this account, this written record, it's such a gift, such a gracious gift. We have it to see your character more fully, to not just understand your nature more, but to understand who you've created us to be and why we exist, just to, to worship you, to glorify you, to share the message of Jesus Christ with those who don't know you. Thank you that we have this time, that we get to come together every week to be daily in the Scriptures and examine them. But help all of us to do so on a more consistent basis so that we might be more equipped, as your scripture says, adequate for the work that you call us to do. Please bless the time in groups. Um, thank you for anyone engaging with us online today. And 
Allow us to learn and grow to be the people you call us to be for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us for the Friday Men's Breakfast Podcast. I hope that you will join us again for our next podcast on Friday, April the 9th. For more information on the Friday Men's Breakfast, please visit wcchapel.org slash men's breakfast. God bless, have a great week, and a great Easter. Easter.